Are you with me? All right, okay. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing that you're with me or it just says you want to get out of here sooner. But uh, how many of you are ready to study God's Word today? If you got your Bible, let's get started. And uh, while you're finding your Bible, uh, we have uh, any comics lovers in the house. Do you like Peanuts, Charlie Brown? I love Charlie Brown. Uh, I think it's because we resemble each other in haircut. Uh, but, uh, but Linus, who had more hair than Charlie Brown, had a big sister who was not always very nice. What was Linus's big sister's name? Lucy. And so one day Linus sat down and decided that he was going to try to exercise his creativity and he was going to write his own comic strip. And so he was pretty proud of it when he was done. He took it to his big sister Lucy and said, read this and tell me what you think. She read it, she smiled, she laughed. It was clear that she liked it. And she said, who wrote this? And he said, well, I did, it's mine. And she said, well, if you wrote it, then I don't think it's very good. And she crumpled it up and she threw it on the ground and walked away. And as she walked away, and Linus bent down to pick up his crumpled piece of work that he was so proud of, he said this, sometimes big sisters are the crabgrass in the lawn of life. I, I wonder today, how many of you have somebody who has been crabgrass in the lawn of your life? Amen? I mean, you're thinking of people already. You're ready to make a list, yes? Maybe you have somebody who is always critical, someone who always has a negative word to say, someone who never has anything to say but criticism. If you can think of somebody like that, now what I want you to do is turn the question around and ask it this way. Is it possible that there have, have been times when you were the crabgrass in someone else's life? Is it possible that you have been the one who has been critical and complaining and tearing other people down rather than building them up? Today we're going to be in the book of Acts, if you want to go ahead and find that. We're going to actually cover a number of passages as we go through the book of Acts to discover a particular secret that I think that all of us can learn from. And uh, if you discover the secret, if you begin to Im implement into your life what we're talking about today, then I think you will be the kind of person who has more friends than you can count. You're going to be the kind of person who, who people just want to hang out with. You'll be the kind of person who, when you die, people line up to attend your funeral. And here is the secret. Already? Are you ready? It's just three words. Really, really simple. And the three words are this. Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. Everybody say that together. Be a Barnabas. Turn the person behind you, in front of you, beside you, and say, be a Barnabas. You're like, I'm not sure I want to say that. I don't know what it means. <laughs> Hold on. I think you'll like it. It's a good thing. I promise. In Acts chapter 4, we meet this amazing guy named Barnabas who everybody seemed to like. He was very popular, but it was because he had a specific characteristic in his life. Now, his name is only mentioned a few times in Scripture, and really we're going to cover today just about every single time he is mentioned in Scripture, because every time he is mentioned in the book of Acts, we, we get insight into what made him so special. 
And so the first time he is mentioned is here in Acts chapter 4, and we find that Barnabas is not even his real name. It's a nickname. His real name was Joseph. The first time he is mentioned is in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so his parents called him Joseph, but everybody else called him by a nickname. What was his nickname? Barnabas, which means what? Son of encouragement. In other words, literally his nickname was the encourager guy. Hey, hey, everybody, do you know that encouragement dude? Yeah, that's him. That was literally his name. I, I, I uh, remember one time I went to a funeral of a guy who had a nickname. Uh, his last name was Pugh, Mr. Pugh, uh, P-U-G-H. And so I went to his funeral, and uh, I didn't know him very well, uh, but my father did, and so I was uh, there on on his behalf, and this guy had a nickname that was literally what everybody called him. They put it right there on the program at his funeral. That's how important, how important his nickname was. And so I'll never forget the day the pastor stood up and said at the funeral, ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to honor the memory of Stinky Pew. <laughs> I, I'm telling the truth. It was in the obituary, Stinky Pew. Now, I don't know where he got that nickname. I never got a chance to smell him. But, but nicknames can be kept powerful. And here in the Bible, we have a guy who is such a blessing and such an encouragement that the people around him literally called him, in Greco-Hebrew, the encouragement guy. And so let's keep reading Acts chapter 4. Verse 36 into 37, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so the first thing we learn is that Barnabas was a generous giver. It says that Barnabas sold a piece of land, a field that he owned, and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. In other words, he gave it to the church in order to further the mission of Jesus. A few weeks ago, I told you about a time in uh, the, the marriage of Tracy and I that uh, in our early days, we went through some hard times, and, and uh, especially financially, that we had very, very little to live on and you know, just scraping to get by. I was working, she was working, and uh, so we didn't get to eat out much. And so I told you a story about eating out a few weeks ago. Uh, well, another one that, that came to mind in preparing for today and thinking of uh, Barnabas and his generosity, that he was a generous heart, a generous giver, uh, is I remember that in the first couple of years of our marriage, I don't remember if it was our first year or our second year, but uh, we were coming upon Thanksgiving. And uh, Tracy is from Virginia. And you know in America that they make a big, big deal over Thanksgiving. Like it's a huge, huge thing. For some families, it's a bigger thing than Christmas. And so we were kind of feeling the separation because the closest family we had was 10 hours away. And so fortunately, some people at church took pity on us and invited us over to their house for Thanksgiving for dinner. So we were looking forward to going over uh, to be with another family for Thanksgiving. And Tracy came down with the flu. She got really, really sick the week of Thanksgiving. And so we could not go. We had to cancel. And so later in the day, sometime late in the afternoon, close to supper time, 
Tracy was starting to finally feel well enough that she was kind of hungry. She said, I want something to eat. And I'm like, well, I don't know what we're gonna eat. And she said, it's Thanksgiving, I want turkey. Well, imagine trying to find a place on Thanksgiving day when everything is shut down. So we drove around town and went to the only place I could find to take her for a turkey dinner, Subway. She had a turkey sub, uh, <laughs> eat fresh. And, uh, and so, so, so I, I guess it wasn't enough because on the way home, you know, she's still not feeling well. And she said, but I wanted mashed potatoes and gravy with my turkey. And so we drove around until we found a place that was basically like a truck stop, a nasty, dirty, little, greasy spoon. In fact, let me tell you how bad it was. A few years later, the owners literally burned it down for the insurance money, went to jail. I'm telling you the truth. And so, uh, so we went into this place, and, uh, and, I, and I ordered. She sat out in the car. I got in the car, handed her her styrofoam box to drive home on that Thanksgiving. And... As we drove home, she opened it and she started to cry. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, it's yellow chicken gravy instead of brown gravy. <laughs> and so, uh, so it was not our best Thanksgiving. Well, that Sunday, we went to church and there was a guy who pulled me aside. And uh, he gave me, he pulled me off to the side and he gave me one of those things called a loaded handshake. Have you ever had a loaded handshake? If not, you ought to try it, it's really fun. A loaded handshake is something that has money in the palm, right? They slip it in there, all of a sudden you can feel. And as he held onto my hand and wouldn't let me go, I could tell there was something in there. And he said, Joel, I want you to take your wife to dinner. And, and don't misunderstand me, young man. I want you to take her to a nice place, a place that you would not normally go, a place that you think you couldn't afford. I want you to take her on a nice date. And you're not allowed to spend this on your bills or anything else. You hear me? And I said, yes, sir, thank you, sir, whatever you say, sir. And I opened my hand as he walked away, and I walked away, and I looked, and there was a $100 bill. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even know there were places you could eat that cost $100. But what he did for me that day, it was an expression of generosity that spoke encouragement into our hearts in a difficult time in our marriage and said, I love you. I believe in you. And I wonder today, is there anyone in your life who could use a gift of encouragement. And maybe you don't have enough money to give somebody $100, but maybe you could write to them a, an encouraging note. Or maybe you could give them a plate of chocolate chip cookies, or you could maybe mow their grass, or just say something kind and loving, a generous word of encouragement. For Barnabas, he gave it to the church, and that's important because we are all a part of the mission of the church. And so we all need to contribute to the mission of the church. But this is a principle of generosity, I think, that applies to every area of our lives. Just recently, uh, I was in the office and went and checked my mailbox, and there was a note that said, to Joel and Tracy. And so I went back to my desk with the note, I opened it up, and in, in it, it said, Joel and Tracy, thank you so much for giving us money in a time of need. And I looked at the name again, I thought, what? I didn't give this person any money. What are they talking about? And then I smiled because I realized something. See, I do not do the finances in our family. <laughs> Tracy does. <laughs> and Tracy has a heart of generosity that she is always giving to people in need, uh, to ministries, to missions. And sometimes she doesn't even tell me about it. She just does it. 
And so sometimes I get thank you cards for things I gave to that I didn't even know I gave to. <laughs> but that's okay, because the more we have given away, the more God has blessed us. In Balancing the Christian Life, Charles Ryrie writes, how we use our possessions demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it pro proves our love more consciously than depth of knowledge or length of prayers or prominence of service. Those things can be faked, but the use of our possessions shows us up for what we really actually are. Corey Ten Boom says, I've learned not to hold on to anything too tightly because it hurts too much to have God pry back my fingers to get to it. And so I have learned to live my life with an open hand so that God can put in and he can take out whatever he wants. And that way, I never miss the blessing. And so that's the first thing we learn about Barnabas. What made him so special? What made him an encouragement to people? The first thing we see in the very first time we meet him in scripture, it's a demonstration of his generosity. The next thing we see about him is if you go to chapter 9, let's turn over to Acts chapter 9, Barnabas becomes really close friends with a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was what we call him later in his life. Earlier in his life, his name was Saul. Let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 20 to 21. At once, he, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Now, first of all, Paul's name used to be what? Saul. And apparently they had nicknames a lot back then. God liked to change people's name. I've always wondered if maybe I could get a nickname. Uh, sometimes when people ask, do you like to be called Pastor Joel or just Joel or Reverend Joel or Pastor Gorvette? And I say, no, actually, I prefer Most High Reverend of Liturgical Sacraments. Uh, but if you just want to call me Joel, that's fine, too. But uh, the, so the people are confused because this guy who at the time is called Saul used to be part of a dangerous religious militia group that would literally round up Christians, have them arrested, put in prison, and even at times killed. Followers of Jesus were scared to death of this guy named Saul. Then one day, Jesus gets a hold of Saul's life. Saul is radically transformed. He goes out on the streets. He starts telling people about Jesus. Meanwhile, Christians in the church, they don't know what to think. Because the last they knew, when, this is the guy to watch out for. This is the guy who persecutes Christians, and now he claims to be one. So they're not sure that they can trust him. It seems like a trick. Look at verse 26. And so when they came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And so Saul has got nobody. His old friends have rejected him. The disciples are scared of him. The church won't accept him, but there is one guy, one guy who believes that God can take a person whose life is a mess and turn it into a masterpiece. There's one guy who believes that God can take a sinner and turn him into a saint. And who was that one guy? Look at the next verse. Acts 9, verse 27, 
but Barnabas. Everybody say that together. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. But Barnabas, everybody rejected Saul, but Barnabas, who looked into his life and said, man, I do not approve of all the things you have done. You have been a bad dude. You have hurt my friends. You have persecuted people. But I'm going to love you anyway, Saul. I'm not going to focus on who you were. I'm going to focus on who you can become. I'm not going to focus on what you used to be. I'm going to focus on what God is making you to be. And I'm here to tell you, folks, there are people in your life who maybe they have done horrible things and everyone else has rejected them. Is it possible that you could be their Barnabas? Barnabas said to the church, I believe that it is time we open our arms to Saul and give him a chance. And if he had not done that, we would not even have half of our New Testament in the Bible today. Did you know that? Saul was responsible for writing almost half of the New Testament and ended up, this guy ended up starting more churches than anybody else in the Bible. But think about it this way. What if there had been no Barnabas in Saul's life to encourage him and stand up for him? Where's the next place we find Barnabas? In Acts chapter 11, See, at first the disciples thought that the message of Jesus was only for the Jews. And Acts eleven nineteen 19 says that Jews were coming to Jesus all over the place. But until this point, there had not been an intentional effort to reach out to Gentiles. And a Gentile is anybody who is not a Jew. And so Acts 11, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. He what? He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So what's happened here is all the Greeks start accepting Jesus in this city, in Antioch. And so, so they look around and say, well, somebody needs to go and disciple them. Somebody needs to go and help them get established as a church. Who's going to go? And they look around and says, well, I don't want to go. Do you want to go? I don't want to go. Nobody wanted to go, it seems like. Until they said, hey, I know, let's send Barnabas. <laughs> and Barnabas said, okay. And, and Barnabas was willing to reach across racial lines. He was willing to reach across social and cultural lines. And, and, and it seems like their entire disciple-making plan, their entire church growth plan was this. Let's just send Barnabas. And what did Barnabas do in order to build up the church? He encouraged them. Folks, anybody can point out the negative. That doesn't take any special talent. I heard one time somebody say, you know, criticism is my spiritual gift. And somebody else told them, well, I don't think God would mind if you went and buried that gift. 
that, that sometimes we all spend our time complaining about all the things we don't like, all the people who have let us down, all the people at home and at work and all the problems. And that doesn't take any special talent. Anybody can do that. But Barnabas decided to look beyond whatever problems they had to see their potential. And that's what it means to be a Barnabas, to look beyond the problems and actually see the potential. Encouragers get excited about the progress of others. Everybody's got problems, but encouragers see the potential. An encourager finds positive things to say about people. And, and you might say, well, I, I don't think there's anything positive, positive that can be said about that person. I don't think there's anything positive you could say about that group or about that church or about that place or about that neighbor, neighborhood. But you, you know what? If, if you can't find anything positive to say, you know what that says? You're not looking hard enough. You're not looking hard enough. See, she was looking hard enough. <laughs> That's an encourager right there. Now, there's something else Barnabas did. We're still here in Acts chapter 11. You have all these people who are starting to come to Jesus. The church is growing, and what does Barnabas do next? Acts 11, verse 25 through 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Did you know that? Up until that time, they were just called followers of the way. But in this city, Antioch, this is the first time that anybody was ever called by the name Christian. And notice what Barnabas does here. Barnabas sees that the people have a need and that Paul, or Saul at that point, needs an opportunity. People had a need, and Saul needed an opportunity to develop his leadership skills. And so here's what Barnabas did. Notice that he did not just do the ministry himself. He saw it as his role to connect people with opportunity and to connect people with other people. And that's what an encourager does. See, you can't be friends with everybody, but everybody needs a friend. So you don't have to try to absolutely be friends with everybody, but you can try to make sure that everybody has a friend. You know, many churches, many organizations fail for this very principle, that everybody thinks they have to be best friends with the pastor, and the pastor thinks he has to be, or she has to be best friends with everybody, and the church only can grow beyond this because everybody has to be attached to the pastor. And that's a failure in the understanding of leadership, that the job of leadership is not to connect with everybody, the job of leadership is to make sure that everybody connects with somebody. And so you'll find out more about that in the coming year as we begin to work on that as our primary focus next year as we establish our team together. And so like Barnabas, one of the greatest things you can do is, is help people connect with other people. Hey, hey, Kevin, have you met this guy over here? I think you guys would really get along. Hey, 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 Melissa, hey, I, I hear you're into cycling. You know, this person over here I just met is into cycling too. Maybe you could get together. Hey, Judy, have you met this person over here? They really need someone to pour into them and make them feel welcome. Barnabas looked at this guy and said, Saul has great potential and these people have great need. Let's put them together. 
By the way, on your connection card, if you will write, I want to serve in a ministry, or there's a little box that you can check, we have a process, the engagement process, that we have just developed in the last few months, which is so fantastic, which if you will check, I want to serve in a ministry, we will help you, we have a, a team in place, a system in place to help you find where is the best place to serve in a way that will match your personality, your gifting, your interests. But once you get serving in ministry, understand again, that's not the end. It's also about you helping other people get connected in your ministry. What else do we learn about Barnabas? The next place we find him is Acts chapter 15. Who knew that there's so much we could find out for our own lives just in this one little guy's life? Acts chapter 15. By this point, Saul's name has been changed to Paul. This is years later, and now Paul and Barnabas have been working together in ministry for a long time. Let's pick up in Acts 15, verse 36 to 39. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Now, we always want to figure out in a situation like this, you know, whose side should we take? Who was right and who was wrong? Because Paul and Barnabas so strongly disagreed over what to do with John Mark, who had failed them before, that they separated and went in different directions. And so I've wondered, is, was Paul right to cut John Mark loose, or was Barnabas right to give him another chance? And we like to assign blame. You know, are you on team Paul or team Barnabas? But here's what I wonder. Is it possible that both of them were right. Follow me now. As painful as this separation was, is it possible maybe this was part of God's plan for doubling their impact? Because now they can go in different directions and reach even more people and expand and take more territory for Christ. Some of the hardest conversations I've ever had have been in seasons when I've had assistant pastors who come, who I dearly love, and say to me, Joel, I feel like God is calling me to go out and plant a new church. Or I feel like God is calling me to go and serve in a different context somewhere. And yet as hard as that is, I am so proud of them when they succeed and go out there to reach people I could never reach and do things that I could never do. Sometimes when people leave your church, you know, oh, it hurts so much when somebody decides to go to another church in town. But have you ever thought about this? Sometimes maybe God needs to take what they have learned here in this place to go and invest it in another church to help them grow and make an impact in that corner of the kingdom where we're not making an impact. Isn't that beautiful? See, sometimes, sometimes you're, hopefully that doesn't mean you're ready to leave the church. I'm not, that's not what I'm suggesting. But sometimes your small group 
needs to divide into two or three or four different new groups to provide more opportunities for people to come in and get connected and more opportunities for people to be able to lead their own groups. And so I'm not saying that Paul was wrong for being nervous about trusting John Mark. I think he was justifiably wary and cautious because John Mark really had failed them and dropped the ball before. But listen, if you want to be a Barnabas, sometimes you have to be willing to take a risk on people. See, Barnabas was a giver of second chances. Let me ask you a question all around this room. I want you to think about your life and I want you to be really, really honest here and get ready to raise your hand. If you have ever messed up before, if you have ever made a mistake, if you have ever hurt anybody's feelings, if you have ever done anything that you wished you would not have done, something that you regretted, would you raise your hand? How many of you have ever done something? You... Yes, I think it's pretty universal, right? Every single one of us have done things at times that were wrong and hurtful. And yet every one of you here today, every single one of you have had somebody who has forgiven you, somebody who gave you a second chance. You had a Barnabas. How many of you are thankful for the Barnabases in your life? Do you want to just give thanks for Barnabases in your life? Amen. People who gave us a ch second chance. People who, who didn't hold our past against us. And so here's the challenge. If there are people in your life who forgave you and gave you a second chance, why in the world would you ever think that you should be able to withhold forgiveness from someone else? In fact, may, may I even get a little stronger? As much as you have been forgiven, how dare you withhold forgiveness from someone else? You say, but Joel, you don't, you don't know what that person did to me. No, but God knows. And he died for them. That's how much he loves them. Do you love them that much? See, it doesn't always mean that you have to trust people right away. Don't get me wrong. And some people, you might hear this and say, oh, well, I was in an abusive relationship, and Joel is saying that I should go back to that abusive relationship. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, sometimes we need to maintain healthy boundaries and be just like Paul, who Paul said, uh-uh-uh, we're not going to give you the second chance at this point yet until you earn our trust back. But to be a Barnabas means that you look into people's lives and you believe that God is the one who can take their mess and turn it into a masterpiece. You believe that God can take sinners and turn them into saints. It means that you extend the hope that God can do, can do something in their life. That's what it means to be a Barnabas. And folks, I would not be standing here today if it were not for the Barnabases in my life. Painter Benjamin West says that when he was young, he was always interested in painting. And so when his, his mother would leave the house and he knew that she was going to be gone for a period of time, that, that many times what he would do is he would get all the paints and he would make a big mess and he would try to get it cleaned up before mother got home because she liked everything nice and clean all the time. 
But one day he got all the paints out when she left the house and made a big mess and she got home early. And he was so scared as she walked into the room and there was the mess all over the place. And he said, I'll never forget, she walked past the mess and she went up to the painting on the easel and she picked it up and she looked at it and she said, wow, this is beautiful. And he said, she put it down on the easel and she turned around, kissed me on the cheek and walked back, uh, walked back out of the room, never ever commenting on the mess that I had made. He said, that kiss on the cheek, that was the day I truly became a painter. And folks, every day you and I are trying to paint a picture of Jesus with our lives. And can we admit it? Sometimes we make a mess, don't we? Sometimes we drop the ball and cause problems. And... But what we need is someone who comes along and believes in us and encourages us. Someone who, like Barnabas, looks beyond what we are today and sees the potential of what we can be tomorrow. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? A giver of second chances because that's the kind of God we serve. He is a giver of second chances. Let's stand together. Maybe you're here today and the truth is that idea of a second chance in your life sounds so good because you've messed up, you've done wrong, you know that things are not right between you and God today. We're here to remind you that God is a giver of second chances. And you say, what, God would just forgive me for free just like that? I don't have to do anything to receive his forgiveness? Well, see, something had to be done, but Jesus is the one who did it. Jesus died on the cross in order to clean up the mess that we have made with our lives. He paid the price for our sin, the price that we could never pay, for the punishment for sin is death. And he died and rose again so that we can be forgiven and with him we can experience eternal life. And so what do you need to do to receive that? Simply ask. Reach out and receive his forgiveness today. And so all around this room, could we just close our eyes and spend a moment in meditation? And if you would like to make that decision today, would you just right now in your heart say, Father, forgive me. I have made a mess in my life. I've made mistakes. I've hurt people. I have disobeyed you. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. And right now, tell him in your heart, and I receive your forgiveness. That right now, I want to become your child, a son and daughter of the King. And I commit to follow you now and for the rest of my life. And God, help me to be a Barnabas. Help all of us to be Barnabas, to be generous, 
to be forgiving, to help connect other people with opportunities, and to be a giver of second chances. For we believe that that kind of world is the world that you desire. Help us at Moncton Westland to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say? Amen. Amen. Hey, listen. If you prayed that prayer and you made a decision for Christ today, we have a gift that we would love to give to you. And so we just, everybody, if you would just stop for just a minute, and if you, if you would like that gift and you say, I'd like to take some next steps, I'd like to be able to read through a little booklet, it'll help me, and I, I'd love to, you know, we'll, we'll contact you, we'll call you this week, uh, but just real quick, are you ready? If you say, I'm willing to say, that I want to follow Jesus today. Would you raise your hand all around this room? Would you raise your hand up high so we can bring you that gift? We want to bring it to you right now. Make sure we don't miss anybody. Yay, fantastic over here. We have one in the back. Make sure we don't miss in the back. Fantastic. Keep it up until we see you. Make sure that somebody comes and gets it to you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And so listen, if you'll take that, and go to Starting Point. We would love to give you a free gift and help you get started with some next steps in your spiritual journey. And as you go from this place, may the light of Jesus shine brightly through you as you look for opportunities to be a Barnabas to somebody. Amen? Amen. Go in the peace of God. You are dismissed. <laughs>